So before we jump into this, uh, this text, this strange text actually, I want to give a quick announcement update. So I'm going to show you a picture up on the screen. And does he, do you know what this is? This is Free Church North Andover. Uh, last week, a couple weeks ago, these are all the kids who gathered to, uh, to come to worship with their families, and we are ministering to them and discipling them as well. And, and just sometimes they're out of sight, and we don't want them certainly to be out of mind. And we are committed, even, uh, so our North Andover campus pastor has left us, but we are committed to continuing to be one church in two locations, and uh, we're as two locations every Sunday. And uh, we've been through a lot of change as a church over the last number of years, but I think it's impacting the North Andover campus, especially a lot of the, some of the turnover and changes that they've seen. Uh, but there is, um, so it's been tough. But there's a solid core of people who are still committed to this, and we are going to continue on to do this. So we are looking for a new leader. Uh, as you know, that the North Andover campus pastor is not just a leader for the North Andover campus, but a, a preaching pastor in the life of this church. It's a very important uh, position in the life of our church, and hopefully by the end of the year, we will have, uh, we'll have that in place. But God has been good to us in the meantime. It's not like we're floundering around here. God has brought uh, gr great uh, preachers and, and bringing God's word, and we have, you know, Javi was here last week and hit absolute home run. And just God, God is good to us and gracious to us. So, but we're, we're working on that actively, uh, interviews, and that whole process is going on. We are looking for a new location for that campus. Trinitarian Congregational Church is lovely. They've been very good to us, and our relationship with them is very good, but we, we need, um, particularly Sunday morning, timing and setup, we need to work on that, so we're looking at other options there. We have a new facility team working on that, and um, that's that. Here's my encouragement to you. If you've never seen it in action, I encourage you to go visit if you haven't. It's, uh, you could go any Sunday morning, they're always there, and uh, you can visit. Now, if it's any sort of bait or enticement to you, next Sunday, Pastor Jack, who is a pastor emeritus in the life of our church, Pastor Jack will be preaching over at the North Andover campus, and he will not be here. So if you want to see him and, and hear God's word from him, go there and participate. If that's not uh, enough, we're having soup. Lots of soup. Free soup. Right after worship, so there'll be soup and bread, and we invite you to just check things out and just encourage and, and just be part of that for a week, and it'll be good, and you'll get to see Jack. Uh, the other thing you can do is you can serve over there, especially you folks here at the 9 o'clock service. You could actually come and worship here as you normally do, and then take a drive over to North Andover and help out with these many children. And if you'll notice, mixed in with the children, there's, a, there's an adult in this picture too. Believe it or not. So the, see, Cindy? right there in the red on the upper, like around uh, 10 o'clock on the, the photo. So um, we said, wait, wait, Cindy's here. Like, no, Cindy once a month actually drives over with her husband and they serve over there. Even a once a month kind of commitment would really help this developing congregation. You can help serve them. So there's not just children's ministry, but other ways of helping too. So uh, consider that and be praying, please, uh, or continue to pray. I should say, uh, pray for the North Andover campus, for our board of elders, for me, uh, for others who lead, and just as God guides us forward, that we'd be listening well and doing that. So just a, just a quick update on that. That's it. Now, generosity. So we're continuing on in the series, talking about biblical generosity. And we said at the beginning of the series 
that there's a lot of different currencies of life that we can be generous with. You could be generous in relationships with forgiveness. You could be generous with your time, generous with hospitality, generous in serving others. There's all these different currencies. And I didn't, I haven't said it explicitly, but I'll just, I'll say it to you now. When, when I use the word generosity, you could just as easily use the word grace. The biblical concept of grace. The idea of generosity and the idea of grace is that it, it's giving, it's the practice of giving without expecting anything in return. So that's just grace. I'm, I'm giving something, I'm not expecting something back. Generosity is just extravagant grace. It's abundant grace extended without any concern for being repaid for that. And that's really what we're talking about here. And I believe, I truly believe, that if we can understand generosity in a whole life way, that we live lives that are generous in all the different currencies of life, then uh, without any concern to be repaid, then our financial resources and our money will flow right with that. That is, that's why we're teaching it this way. We don't want to preach just about, you know, preach about money in a vacuum, but it's part of a whole life generosity. And so today we're going to be, we are specifically talking about being generous with wealth. And it's, again, that's not the only currency of generosity, but it's a very important one. And it's important for us because of this, because the human heart is very deceitful. Jeremiah 17.9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. So because our hearts are so deceitful, we can think that we're being very generous, we can think that things are going well, yet uh, there, there can be darkness there that is clouding our understanding. Jesus said that the way that we handle our wealth and our possessions is an indicator of our hearts. So it's hard to know your own heart just by thinking or feeling it, but Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So because our hearts are deceitful, and this is sort of an indicator to test our hearts, Jesus says, this is important for us to understand. So we're going to try to understand it by looking at this parable. This parable is very strange. And I don't know if you picked up on that as it was read here. Uh, this is unusual because we have a dishonest manager who is, his behavior and his misuse of resources is condemnable. He's condemned by the master. But he's also commended by the master at the same time. So what he did was both condemnable and commendable. And because it's already hard to understand, I'm going to use both those words because I can. So we're going to look at what was condemnable and what was commendable in this. And, and I think the key here, I believe the key to why we're getting both sides of this story that Jesus tells is because he has two audiences that are listening. Look at verse 1. Verse 1 is uh, the, he's telling his disciples this parable. And then if you skip down to verse 14, take a look. The Pharisees heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. So Jesus is, is speaking to his disciples, and he knows that these Pharisees are listening in. And I think he's hitting their hearts in different ways, which is why it sounds like there's sort of two Two things Jesus is getting at here, which he certainly is. So we're going to look at those two things. Let's pray. God, as we come before your word and as we consider it, we just open, pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts, that we would be open to the leading of your spirit, that we would be open to your voice, that we might hear it, 
that we would understand your heart, that we would understand our own hearts as well, Lord. And the difference between those things and the beauty of having a Savior, Jesus, who can connect our hearts to one another by, his, by your mercy and his grace and, and your love, Lord. So this time's yours. We pray that you just do your good work through it. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've got one story with two, two different outcomes here. So we have this dishonest manager, and here's what's condemnable. He has squandered. He is, he's a manager. He's in charge of a wealthy man's possessions and money and finances, and he's supposed to be a good steward of them on behalf of his master, and he's wasted them. He's squandered it all. The word wasteful is the same word that is used a chapter earlier about a story about a son we call the prodigal son who was wasteful with his family's inheritance. It's the same word, wasteful. And word gets to the master that this manager has just squandered, wasted everything. And he brings him in. He said, look, you're, you, can't be, you can't be my manager anymore. You're fired. This is, you're done. Give your final accounting and get out of here. And, and then the, the manager freaks out, realizes that he's been caught, and realizes he's condemned, essentially, before the master. So far, so good. This lines up very well with other parables that Jesus told. Jesus told a number of parables about a master who was away or who had entrusted his possession, his vineyard, his house, his farm. He had entrusted it to servants who were supposed to steward it well and who failed in this. And some, some of the stewards failed in that. So we, we understand that. And as we understand these parables, God is the master. He has given everything that we have in life, and we are stewards of that, and we fail in our stewardship. We don't honor God with all of our resources and time and power and money. And we, we've, we have been, in many ways, proven to be unfaithful stewards. This, this is, we're good with this theme so far. We see it, we see Jesus teaching about this. But here's the, here's the, the switch. Now, there's something in here that is actually commendable. And the manager was commendable in one respect. He realized that his end was near. He no longer had access to the master's resources. And he had this tiny window of time, where, but he still had a little bit of access to the master's resources. And this is the very reason, I believe, when you get fired or you get laid off, they send security with you with a box and you clean out your desk in front of them, and you, they escort you out of the facility. And I think it started here in the Bible after this story that Jesus told. Because what this guy does is he starts calling. He, he said, I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, I can't. When I get to the other side, whatever's on the other side of this, this life with my master's resources, I've got nothing there. And I can't take it with me. So here's what I'm going to do. Calls in the debtors. You're my master's debtor. What's your debt? 900 units of oil. Okay, quick, cross it out. No one's looking. Make it 450. Get out of here. Calls the next one in. What do you owe? I owe 1,000 bushels. Okay, call it 800. Call it 700. Just change it and get out and do it quickly. And the idea is that by doing this, when he is now released from his duties, he has made friends who will receive him because he, had, he was kind to them. He had used his authority and his master's resources to get in their good graces. And 
this is the, the tricky verse, verse 8. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. And you can almost see the master shaking his head. That little weasel, that cheat, I fire you and, I, you, and you give my money away on the way out the door. You were wasting, you wasted everything I had for years and years, and in your very last act, you just wasted even more. You cheat, you weasel, and I would sue you for everything you have, but you have nothing, and I know you have nothing. And I, I didn't think you were smart enough to accomplish anything, but, you know, shake your head, gotta give it to you. I didn't think you could accomplish anything, and that lazy son of a gun, he's on the way out the door, sets himself up for retirement. You gotta give it to him. What is Jesus teaching here? Let's, hand, let's take this backwards. So let's start with the Pharisees. And I, I, and I think this, is, this part of Jesus' teaching here is directed towards the Pharisees. These are people who thought they were very good and upright and had wonderful hearts, but they were not following Jesus, and they were very distant from God's kingdom in many ways. Jesus is telling them, your heart is sick towards money, and it's very sick. It's actually probably sicker than you think. He says in verse 12, if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? And the ultimate story here is that everything, everything we have in life is somebody else's property. It's God's. God owns the earth and everything in it. Every breath that you breathe is God's gift to you. Every dollar that you have, every relationship that you have, any bit of status or joy or happiness, all of these things God has given you, entrusted to you, that he is the ultimate uh, rich man, and we are to be his managers in every aspect of life. And when you start using your resources, somebody else's resources, in a way where you think they're your own, that's not just bad management, that's thievery. You are a th you're not a bad manager, you're a thief. Because you're treating it like it's your property, it's not your property. Jesus is saying, this is someone else's property, don't be a thief. Not a bad manager, you are a thief. But it's worse than that. Look at verse 10. It says, whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So like the manager here, he's, he's, been, he's misused money to get him into this trouble of getting fired. Now he has to misuse money to get himself out of the trouble. Money has become the controlling thing. And what does he say? He says, look, I'm too old to dig. He's afraid that he won't be able to work. And he said, I'm not, I'm not going to beg. I don't want people to see that. He's got pride. Fear and pride are driving him. And he just, he, what's, the, what's the solution? It's money. I'm going to steal more from my master and I'm going to use it to get ahead. When, when money plays that kind of role in your life, where it's fear and pride and it's driving you, you're not just a bad manager. You're a slave. You're a thief and a slave when money controls you in that way, where it's the only thing that can get you out of the trouble. It's worse than that. Look at verse 13. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. When money plays a, a, a role in someone's life so much that it becomes a, mis, a misguided love, it becomes a misplaced love, 
And God says we are to love him first and only with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. When we put a love that, is, that should be towards God first and only, and we misplace that love into money, it's not just bad management, it's adultery. You're not just a bad manager, he's telling the Pharisees. You are a thief, you are a slave, you are an adulterer. Your heart is very sick towards money. And worse than you probably even imagine. And that's why scripture teaches that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. Whether you have it or you don't have it, by the way. For people who have lots of money and, and lots of wealth, it can, it can become a security and it can become an idol and it can become such a thing in life that it, it takes all of what God wants from us and it, it, we put it towards that. Or people who don't have the resources they need and they're constantly struggling and behind and in debt and can obsess about money and their lack of money and it can just play this role that it was never designed to play. And, but we live in a world... Here's why it's so hard, because we live in a world that defines everything with a dollar amount. We live in a world that compares things by the bottom line. So how we define success in our world. Is someone successful? Well, how much money do they have? Accomplishment. Well, what have you accomplished? Well, has it produced wealth? What is, something, what is the value of something? Well, you've got to put a dollar amount on it. This is, it's all about money, but that is, not, that is not how God measures success. And it just straight out, Jesus says in verse 15, what people value highly is detestable in God's sight. Where all, people all over put all this value in money, and this is detestable to God because he desires that all of the value is put in him. That's the point here. The heart can be very sick in regards to money. So there's got to be another way. What is the correct posture then towards wealth and money? Now here we go. Now here's Jesus in, I believe here, really speaking to the heart of his disciples, those who are genuinely trying to follow him. He, this is the key. He said, just don't, don't give, it, don't give money in possession the wrong status, but be shrewd. Be shrewd with your resources. Verse 8 again. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it's gone, you'll be welcome into eternal dwellings. And again, that's a strange statement because it almost sounds like Jesus is saying, use your worldly wealth to buy friends. You know, use your money to influence people so that they'll like you more. And, and the world, where it says worldly wealth in verse 9, that literally you can translate that dishonest wealth. Use dishonest wealth to make friends. Think of it like this, though. Uh, to make friends, think, be a blessing. Use your worldly wealth and your possessions to be a blessing. Again, that's the idea of friendship in, in God's economy. And just like, so think of it, you use your resources to be a blessing to others, and just like the manager here, you only have so much time. You have this little window of time where you have access to the Father's resources, to the Master's all of God's resources that he's given you. Again, your life, your money, your possessions, your relationships. 
You only have a little bit of time. Use that so when it's gone, or when it dies, when you die, that there's, you don't have any access to those things anymore. So how can I use this to speak to the world on the outside of my master's, this part of his world uh, in eternity? How am I using my resources here to invest in blessing that will live to the other side? That's the point. Now, there's some ways. I'll give you some practical ways you could do that. The first, these are, I'll start with the obvious ones. You could direct your wealth to the work of the church. Now, that's no shock that I would say that. It would seem obvious, and I was, you know, that our elders who are here, you know, would be happy that I say that. But that is an obvious way that you could use resources now for God's work that will continue into eternity. So that's obvious, but how, well, what's the right amount? What am I supposed to give? How am I supposed to do this? We always say three things. That that type of giving should be intentional, proportional, and cheerful. Intentional, 2 Corinthians 9-7, each one should give what he has decided in his heart to give. That you, you decide, it's something that you decide in your heart that you are intentional, you budget, you plan. We just want people not just on the spot, like, oh, I really like that song today. I'm going to give, I'll give, I'll give more, all right? Uh, you know, nobody shook my hand on the way into church today. I'm going to give less. You know, it's, it's not that type of decision. It's, it's a intention that, there's an intentionality that God wants for us. Proportional. 1 Corinthians 16.2 says, On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income. So that we don't talk about, okay, everybody needs to give a certain dollar amount. We talk about proportional giving. That people should give in relation to their wealth and to their income. A lot of people choose to tithe, which means to give a tenth of what they have. They've decided that they can live on 90% of their income. And if you can live on 90% of your income, it means you can give away 10% of your income. And it's very generous. It's a good standard. It's a biblical standard. Now, I don't believe we're bound by the Old Testament law to, to give in a sort of a, a legalistic way, but it's still a very good and very healthy standard that many people choose to, to follow. I know for some people that, that type of a number would just be astronomical. 10%, I couldn't, I couldn't live up you know, with that. The point is asking ourselves, is my giving proportional? You know, is it, it's, a, it's a percentage, not a, a number. You know, and what would generosity look like for me? Could I live off of 1% more, 2%? What, what do I really need, and how can I invest in God's work in this way? So intentional, proportional, and cheerful. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each person should give what he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And I, and I say this, and I mean it, if you feel compelled to give just out of guilt or you feel like it's not a cheerful, joyful thing, stop giving. Because that is not how God wants to give. Just stop. We don't need it that bad. Pray to God that he would give you a heart that wants to be generous and wants to cheerfully give of what he's given you. And so it's intentional, proportional, cheerful. So 
so it's never about guilt. And I don't know. So I don't have any access to know what anybody gives to this church. I, I, I don't want access to that knowledge. It just, it's all between you and God. So I don't, I honestly don't know. And I don't want to know. So that it can be just from your heart between you and the Lord. So that's the first thing. You could give to the work of the church. Second thing is you could give to the work of the missions of the church. And when I think about making investments to make friends for, uh, for eternity, I, this is just a beautiful image for us. So let's say, let's say you die. And I'll pick, um, who am I going to pick on? Fred, can I pick on you for a second? Fred, you die. It's the only way this works. You die, and you get to heaven, and a little boy runs up to you, and he says, Fred, it's so good to see you. Welcome. I want to show you this wonderful place. And Fred says, well, do, do I know you? Have we met? And the little boy says, oh, let me tell you my story. He's maybe nine, ten years old. He said, I'm from Bangkok, Thailand. And I, I, worked, um, I worked at night. I slept all day, and I had to work at night. And I sell roses. And I sell roses to men who go to these shops to date women. And they, they like to bring a flower with them. And I can make a little bit of money. And they bring it to these women, women like my mother who works there. And my hope is that if I sell enough and I make enough money, she won't have to work there anymore because it's a really, really bad place to have to work. So I do this. One day I met Tim and Amy. And Tim and Amy invited me to their home. And they taught me how to read. And they taught me how to write. And they started telling me stories. And they told me stories about a man named Jesus who loved me and who loved my mother, and who died for me, and gave his life for me. And the best part is these stories are true. And that I can put my faith in him, and I do. And one day, I was riding my bike to Tim and Amy's, and it was a busy street, and I got hit by a car, and I died. But it's okay, because I'm here. And Fred, you're here. And I heard that you were one of the people from that church in, in, in the United States who, who gave money so that Tim and Amy could do that good work so that I could know Jesus. And I'm so, they told me you were coming and I'm so glad that you are here. Thank you for supporting them. That's making friends in eternity. And it's not, and again, that's just a made up story. But this, the way God uses resources is there's true stories. Just last weekend, was it the last weekend, we are doing a, a, a food drive at Market Basket for Lazarus House. And we're there, and somebody walks up and says, oh, you're, who are you collecting food for? And so, oh, collecting for Lazarus House. Um, we're from Free Christian Church. Free Christian Church? So here's the story. There was a woman who was invited by I don't know who. I know the person. I don't know who invited them to Alpha. The woman comes to Alpha, has a, a profound faith experience, and becomes a spiritual leader in her family. And when, whenever there was a spiritual question or a crisis, they go to her. So this person had a crisis and said, where do I go? Came to the church and was uh, cared for by this church through this family connection. And then this person goes and sees that the Free Christian Church, who was kind to his family, was collecting food for Lazarus' house, goes into the store and gets bags of groceries and plunks them in and wants to participate in that. That food will then go to the shelter, where it will get distributed to somebody who's hungry. And that all started with somebody got invited to explore Jesus years before. And that's, that's making friends for eternity. 
And this, that's not an isolated story. Everybody's got one of those stories where somebody loved somebody and knew somebody and gave to somebody. And it, the, that, that's because God owns all these resources and he's using them to advance his kingdom. That's what this is about. So you could, so, and I love those stories. So you can give to the church. You could give to, to missions. You could, you could consider what it means sort of in terms of estate planning. So people, often people live their whole lives very generously, and then they die, and they give every single penny they have to their children, who may or may not live such a generous life that they do. What would it look like to consider what is the legacy of your wealth when you are no longer, when you no longer have access to it? Um, you can talk to a lawyer and, and plan that sort of thing, but you can give, you can, can, there's all kinds of ways we can use our wealth. And Jesus says to his disciples, be shrewd with your wealth. Be shrewd. Jesus, in another place, he said, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. I've seen Christians who are about as gentle as snakes and as innocent as, or as, as shrewd as pigeons. You know, it's, it's okay to be intentional with our wealth and to learn about it and use it well. My Pastor David Midwood, my good friend, he was always pushing people to learn more about how to handle their money well. He had books, and he, he would slip us books. Remember, he would slip books. He's like, hey, read this. It's, you know, this um, anyway, I won't say the title, but uh, afterwards I can. But it's just about how to, how to use your resources well. He made some very smart investments as a young, poor pastor, and, and it just it was good. He was very shrewd in that way. Um, you could take a Financial Peace University course. Hope to have another one of those coming up. And there's ways you can learn to handle your money that is more shrewd. Limit the amount of taxes you pay. And a lot of people just pay, they end up paying way too much taxes. Now, I'm not talking about loopholes and cheating the system. I'm talking about being shrewd. And how does my generosity and my taxable income, especially in terms of estate planning and that sort of thing, there's ways to understand that. I was reading a book. Uh, I was reading a book called integrated generosity. And basically the point is, you can either be very intentional and integrated with your generosity, or you can practice what he calls involuntary philanthropy, which is just taxes. So you can let the government be philanthropic on your behalf by taxing your income, or you can control more of that. And there's ways to do that that are perfectly legal and good. You just have to be shrewd and understand it. And it's okay. That's, it's okay. Jesus is saying, listen, it's okay to know those things and to take advantage of those things. Uh, on the other side, don't squander the master's wealth. Uh, don't, so credit card debt is a very poor use of the resources that God has given us. Credit cards are bad, and credit card debt is bad. We need to avoid that, and some people are trapped in that, and some of you are trapped in that. It's not forever, and there's ways to dig out of that. There's resources available and, and processes that you can take to dig out of that kind of debt, because that's not a good use of resources. And certainly don't squander it on things like gambling. I mean, scratch tickets are loser products. They're just loser products. And it's designed to be a loser product. That's the whole point, is that you're a loser when you do that. When, when you, literally, that's how they, they design them so you lose. Um, and, I, and I hate, I, I don't like gambling. I hate gambling, I can say that. I hate predatory gambling, and I hate state-sponsored predatory gambling. And I'm grateful that the folks of the Commonwealth of Massachusetts did not seek to expand predatory gambling onto the main street of, of all these communities. And you can fight me on that or whatever. But you 
with the master's resources, we don't want to gamble them away or just get in this crazy debt. There are ways we can be shrewd, and then we can have the resources to invest in eternal things. That's the point. I hope this message is helpful for you. I hope it motivates you to reconsider your wealth and your possessions and consider what Jesus said to be shrewd. But we still have a problem here, which is the fact that uh, this dishonest, the, the condemnable part of the dishonest manager, that's still us. Because as, even as I think about even my own personal finances, I haven't, I haven't done this perfectly. I still am, I'm still not worthy to continue to be a manager for the master. And that's where we need Jesus. Jesus, think about Jesus as the ultimate manager. And do you know how much of the Father's resources he was given? Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Jesus had it all entrusted to him. And he calls us in. So he's got all the master's riches and all the master's authority. And he calls us in one by one. And he said, hey, you're one, of, you're one of the master's debtors, aren't you? Let me see your debt. And you show it. He says, oh, no. Here's what you're going to do. Cross that out. And he doesn't cancel part of the debt. He cancels the whole thing. And he doesn't do it by cheating and stealing from his father. He does it on his own account. He does it by giving his own life, his body and blood on our behalf, that our debt is completely canceled and that we can, we can then, and he does that to make friends with us. John 15, 15, Jesus said, I have called you friends. This sets our account straight. We can still uh, be those who use the master's resources, but just for a little window of time. Just for a little window of time, and then we will have to live life on the other side. So can we make investments and use our resources that will have lasting effects and be shrewd with them so that we can invest for eternity? Amen.